All right, this is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. With a fantastic guest, Lynn Aylward. Am I saying that right, Aylward, Aylward? That's exactly right, Aylward, Aylward. yeah. Yes, you are a uh, playwright. I don't know if you act, but I know you as a playwright. I'm a playwright. Fantastic. And uh, I was in one of your plays, 1225, and I talked about it uh, in oh. the last episode, in mm-hmm. a couple of uh, seri- episodes, just a fantastic short one-act play about uh, two individuals who were uh, trapped. I think they were, um, they were hostages, mm. and they were celebrating Christmas in a very, very um, oh. Um, oh, yeah. brutal situation. Yeah, you remember talking about uh-huh. that, and, and just, you know, just the wonderful um, feeling that it has an actor doing that. Very short piece. Mm-hmm. So wonderful writing, and uh, I participated in another um, reading of yours recently, Snow to Go. That's that right. right. Mm-hmm. That's right, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and you submitted stuff at the playground as well. Yes, I am in the writer's pool at Playground. Oh, you are? Yeah. that for three years. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So we'll be hearing more about you and uh, just your journey as a creative and uh, all sorts of other things. As oh, I begin. You use that word, do you? Creative. <laughs> the creative, yeah. <laughs> In any case, um, how, how's your week, Norman? Quiet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Things are starting to wind down. Um, the show, we're in our second week. We need audience. Oh, God, we Midsummer need audience. Midsummer Night's Dream, Midsummer yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Um, and I just finished up my, started to say before we got on, Mike, um, Standardized Patient. My first Standardized Patient. I finished that little series um, dealing with young doctors and you know medical students and, um, and trying to live in the world of somebody who, in my case, was really tired and and it's so funny. I didn't know this until the last few days. Somebody finally said, "Well, you know, he has leukemia." And I went, Aww. "Oh, they should they should have told you that." No, no, they don't tell you that because then you come in with that sort of knowledge. Okay. But you need to come in from that place, and that's what I started to say. And that's why yeah. I was like, "Let's get this on mic." Because can't you develop the symptoms? I mean, don't you have to know what the you symptoms have to know are? the symptoms? Yeah. But if you know that you've got a bump, you don't know what that bump means. Oh, sure. Right. And so that's what it has to be. And so what I started to say is, when you get the results. So in this scenario, uh, there had been some testing done, and I was coming back in to hear the results and get a full um, exam. And the guy starts to go, one of them, starts to go through the results with me, and he's just reading off all this technical jargon. And I'm like, and so I thought about it. You know, I just had a very visceral reaction. I'm like, oh, that doesn't – and he'd say, well, you're, you know, you're – White blood cell count is up, and your red's down. And I'm like, okay, this sounds like, am I dying? I didn't say it, but that was the feeling. Right. And it played across my face because immediately <clears throat> – so, I mean, the nice thing about this is it's a clue to what may be going on with you, so this will help us figure it out. And I was like, oh, okay. So afterwards you have to give them little notes, and that was one where I was like, I'm so glad that you saw the concern on my face, and yes. then you broke it down for me <clears throat> in a very positive way. Thank you. Yeah, I hope that these students learned that. Uh, we were talking off mic. I had my second colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Basically, they just mail you something saying, you know, uh, this is You're what you do. You're just addicted, man. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, it came negative. But I remember back in the day when I used to, uh, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. the doctor would say, okay, open, you know, open your mouth, do this, do that. Ah, mm-hmm. You're fine. Okay, go, right. go, go, go play with your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, you know, and so, but nowadays, I don't know if it's because of litigation or whatever. I go to Kaiser. And the doctor says, so what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. What, you know, right. you want me to, 
you know, because they don't want to give you any tests because, I don't know, there's money attached to it or something like that. Well, what they're being taught, though, is not to hit you with those open-ended questions because I'm not a doctor. Right. So don't ask me what's wrong with me. I'm coming in and telling you something's wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I took my car to my mechanic <laughs> and I said my engine's doing blah, 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 and you start messing with the wheels, the brakes, I don't know. Right, right, exactly. You know. I don't know. Maybe you do know. Maybe that's where the problem is and you can fix it. But you need to figure it out. So mm. they are being taught not to ask open-ended questions yeah, yeah. about your condition. <laughs> On the other hand, they are being taught to ask open-ended questions about you. How are you? How's your day? How, how did, was it okay getting here today? What's my pain level? <laughs> no, that, <laughs> right. Zero, by the way, guys, in case you want to know. Reg, I think part of that yes. is that up until you're 40, yeah. when you go to the doctor, no matter, even if it was something crazy, yeah. I felt they would always say to me, um, as long as I was under 40, mm-hmm. ah, I wouldn't worry about that. Mm-hmm. And then after 40, it's mm-hmm. so ominous when you come in with any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They always say, you should see a specialist. I'm going to flip your thing over just a little bit, unless she, unless you did it deliberately. I did not. Okay, there you I go. Did not. Not sure, just flipping you. your your yeah. mic thing. Technical but yeah, adjustments. But I was going to ask you, Lynn. I mean, uh, because men, I imagine men going to the ho- the doctor is a little different from a woman, um, like gynecologist sort of stuff. But is it different? I mean, is it invasive? I mean, do you have any issues with your doctor and and all that stuff? I have to say, I don't, because I. Um, you know, have had one or two health things. All right, I'll just say it. I'm very happy about this, but 14 mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. well, I'm not happy about it, but I'm happy it's 14 years ago, I had breast cancer. Okay. So, And I'm fine now, so it's all good. But at that point, you mm-hmm. stop. I, I just think then you just look at medical professional professionals as yeah. um, this person might be able to save my life. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Breast cancer survivor, that's wonderful. You know, that's yeah. that's the um, amazing thing. And you're always – go ahead. No, all I was going to say is that's what I was <coughs> starting to say before we got on mic was, yeah. you know, things have changed now. You say words like cancer now, and because when I was a kid, when you said cancer, you basically said somebody's getting ready to die. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. now yeah. you say it, and I don't know. Now you'll hear where somebody went in, like um, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. That's right. <laughs> I'm totally praying for him. Yeah, yeah. He's out, and now he's bleeding. They're like, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, five years. Five years. We just want more five years. Five more years of you. Be the first president over 100. That would be great. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I'd like to be over 100, but live healthily. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. when Bob, I think Bob Hope lived to be 100. But every time I saw him in the paper, I was was like, oh, my God. You know, it's just poor man. Whereas Um, George Burns, I think, died. Did he make a hundred? I, I think he made, he made 100. a hundred. Yeah, but um, I, that's what it was. He had a um, an engagement at the Crystal Palace oh. in London mm-hmm. uh, for the Queen when he for his hundred. They had already like I don't know his agent, somebody. They had already, like the check was gone. The <laughs> yeah. check was spent. But when he got there, he was uh, you in such die, poor George, health. You can't die, George. You can't die. He was in such poor health. They had to, they canceled the engagement and they uh, just let it go. Ooh, they had to. What are you gonna ooh. do? Go after some <laughs> take a hundred year old guy to court. <laughs> The, qu- the queen is the queen is up there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think she's past a hundred yet. No, not but yet. is she in her nineties? Yeah, Maybe. I'm not sure, yeah. but that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and Betty White, we talk about Betty White all the yeah. time. Oh, is, I mean, she's, she's living, living my hero. She's living a vibrant. I want life. that career. Yeah, I'm reading her her latest book right now, which yeah. is oh. called. Um, if you ask me, but you probably won't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Bill Shatner. You know, Shatner's almost 90 years old. Is he really? He doesn't no. even look it. Yeah. Oh, wow. man, and he is, he's a monster on Twitter. Yeah. He, he, he gets into it with people. <laughs> he, he's a tad bitter. Oh, well. <laughs> now, when you mentioned Jimmy Carter, yes. Reg, mm-hmm. that makes me think of Washington, D.C. That's right. And I did not realize we had that in common. Yeah, that's right. Both, mm. fo- both of us are. Uh, I was born in. I mean, we're, we'll get into an origin story later because we have, you know, other things okay. to talk about. But. Uh, yeah, I was born in Texas, actually, and my dad, you know, was from D.C., and he mm-hmm. was like, okay, we got to get out of Texas because, you know, crazy right. things are happening, 1969, and went back to Washington, D.C., which was a <laughs> chocolate city back then. Which was so quiet in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 70s, I mean, we've talked about how after the King uh, assassination, assassination. Mm-hmm. and uh, there was just so much unrest. When I grew up in the 70s, you know, a lot of those places that had been burned down was never built back up. Right. Not until the 80s and right. you know, the 90s and the aughts. Mm-hmm. So I grew up under a lot of, you know, just, I mean, when I came back from college and went back to D.C., I was like, oh, wow, they've right. built it all up now. Oh. So, yeah. It'll be interesting said, talk about, yeah. Well, when you said D.C., when you said D.C., I thought, oh, you know, current events. That's right. <laughs> oh, exactly. yeah. Impeachment. Did you, you listen? Any, you have any thoughts about impeachment? Oh, did you listen? Oh, baby. <laughs> And I hate it because I know mostly what's happening is the news is telling people what happened. But if yeah. you listen for yourself, <coughs> yeah. And there were some sweet moments. Shift, shift. Oh, I, I love. Shift, yeah. And like Nancy Pelosi is not one of my favorite politicians, but as as my representative, she's mm-hmm. not. As a politician, I gotta admit the woman is amazing. Adam Schiff is on that level. He he was just controlling it, keeping it on task. And the best moment to me. Out of the section that I heard, the best moment was when one of the Republicans tried to cut the woman off. They tried to box her into a yes or no answer, and she had to say yes, but she wanted to qualify it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. And Schiff said, suspend. He just stopped him. (laughs) And he said, not on my time. And he said, suspend, Representative, Mm -hmm. suspend. Finish your answer. Yeah. And you can see the clip (coughs) of her (laughs) when the guy says – won't let her keep talking, and this little eye roll that happens <laughs> when he says that not on my time, mm-hmm. and then Schiff says, "Go ahead and finish your answer." And her answer was real simple. The, he was trying to say, "Isn't it part of the portfolio of the of our ambassador to the U uh, to the UE um, to the EU? Mm-hmm. Isn't it part of his portfolio to cover Ukraine?" And she said, "If that's a yes or no, yes, but." Mm-hmm. It has never been that the ambassador to the EU has taken over control of a specific country, of the mission at a specific country. That has never happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And that's all she – that was – you know, because that's a better <coughs> – that's a clearer answer. Mm-hmm. No, you can't just play like it's black and white. It's not black and white. Yeah. People are – And really, this, this is just all about – you know, what did, you know, what, who were the people involved and, in, you know, whatever happened and mm-hmm. if whoever was involved, what did you hear? Like we, you know, right. there was one testimony where there was one person overhearing, I overheard Trump on the phone mm-hmm. saying quid pro quo. Right. You know. Well, he I'll, didn't say quid pro quo, but he Well, said he didn't say that, but basically it was like, right. hey, listen, if you want aid to the Ukraine. Right. You got to give me some dirt Biden. on Biden. Yeah. So it's, we'll see. Do you have any thoughts on, on this whole thing? Lynn? Well, just that, um. It, it really saddened me yesterday, something I heard that a Republican congressman said when the hearings concluded for the day. Mm-hmm. He gave a news quote about um, the show trial is over or we're taking a break in the right. show trial. And 
uh, the Democrats will return down to the basement to have the secret hearings or whatever. Uh, and and I, I think it was. I think it was mm -hmm. one of you know our California representatives. Right. And what really depressed me about it was just that it e exemplified so clearly um, using really charged language mm -hmm. to get, you know, to, to play to people's, the emotions of fear and anger mm -hmm. right. rather than um, being able to look at the facts. So right. going down into the basement, like what does it matter if an office room, a mm -hmm. conference room is on the 10th floor or right. the first floor right. or in a downstairs level? But yeah. in know, the dungeon. going down into the basement mm -hmm. is like classic kind of fear-mongering language, right. and then calling it a show trial is using language that I think mostly has yeah. was applied to the Stalin <coughs> trial yeah, right. in the, the 50s. Yeah, so the Republicans have no, doing, yeah, yeah. the Republicans have a problem, you know, those who are, you know, because they need to, you know, sort of poo-poo this, they feel they have a need to poo-poo this impeachment thing, right? but they have no justification for it because right. there's so much evidence. A lot of it is circumstantial evidence. There's no direct evidence. Well, no, they won't allow the yeah. people who have direct evidence to testify. Yeah. Well, that only means Trump says, don't do it. Right. It's up to the people. You know, if you get a subpoena, you can testify, even if right. your boss says no. I mean, you know, a boss can't tell me to do anything illegally. I mean, right. you know, if I get a subpoena, I go. It doesn't matter what my boss but says. But you can't argue that this is all hearsay when the people who actually were in the conversation mm -hmm. are, have been told not to talk. Right. Well, then all we have left is hearsay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you really want the truth out, mm -hmm. let those people talk. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's the message that America is getting. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. Are you hopeful of 2020? Are you hopeful of just politics in general, Lynn? Not right now. I don't – I'm not hopeful because I want the, the message to be I, – I, I think everyone who can possibly – everything that we can possibly do mm -hmm. to work on the – campaign mm -hmm. to unseat Donald Trump, everyone has to do. And I yeah. think there's a, there's just no I don't I won't feel hopeful un mm. until then. Until it's I, over, because right. the, the I, polls I, I, really I, scare me. I mean Well the polls are ridiculous because the polls leading up to twenty sixteen misled yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean I'm not saying we were misled, <coughs> but but you know what I we mean. We were and no yeah. I, I think that is fair because yeah, they're taking a small sampling mm -hmm. of the electorate. They're asking very yeah. specific questions and then coloring the whole nation's mood attitude based on that. That's if that's not misleading. There's, a, there's a dude named Nate Silver who oh, runs yeah. 538.com. Yeah, yeah. And I remember immediately after the election in 2016, he tried to explain, well, it's within a 3% you know, right. um, error factor. So technically mm -hmm. we were right. Although we were wrong, we thought Hillary was going to win. Mm -hmm. And you could tell it's sort of a tap dance. I mean, I don't want to blame him, but you can't mislead people in, in believing something. No, there's no blaming. But, yeah. But, well, there's blaming in the sense that so you found a way to make money, mm -hmm. and you're letting people pay you for this, even though you keep giving us the disclaimer that it's, oh, it's not, you know, you can't really trust this. Right, right, exactly. But because <coughs> at that point, it, all it is is um, yeah. informed opinion. Yeah. And informed opinion is useful, but it's that's why it's on the op-ed page. Exactly. <laughs> so I have a hard time with you, Lynn, believing in the polls. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, so the polls say this, but, you know, who conducted the poll? Who did you actually talk to? Mm -hmm. And there was even a controversy. This goes back into history. In the 50s, I think they did a mm -hmm. poll on, I think it was Kennedy, but they were still using the old geriatric, 
going oh, right. to people and not using the telephone. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Sample yeah. is everything. Yeah, the yeah. right. sample was completely skewered. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the same thing is happening here. Of course it is. Where there's a newer generation of people who talk differently and mm-hmm. use different you know, means of, of, of doing things. So whatever. All right, but I'm going to say one more yes. thing about this, if I may. And I, I, you know, I love listening to your podcast, and I'm really impressed how – balanced both of you are and that you don't want to castigate or Thank you know you. We try to. criticize individuals yeah. i think mm-hmm. it's cool i think it's really really stands out especially in the bay area but mm. one thing that weighs on me all the time is that trump is just one person yes he that's could, exactly right he could mm. be gone mm-hmm. but what i worry about is the almost a hundred and million that's or whatever right, right. Yes. Exactly americans right. who voted for him yes and the, the large numbers of those people who still support strongly it. support mm-hmm. him. Yes. And I feel bad about saying that because I don't want to point to anyone who's a strong Trump supporter and say, you know, yeah. oh, you're, you're a bad person. Yeah. But I, yeah. that is what really scares me is that, our, that there's such this polarization in America. Right. You know, it's funny. I had a lunch with a friend of mine, someone I used to date, and she's married to a Trump supporter. Oh, right. And we talked, of course, around it because, mm-hmm. you know, she's still, you know, I, I think there's a, uh, a type of person who believes in loyalty. You know, uh, there's right. always, I think there's a divide between the ideology of loyalty versus individuality. I right. think that's how America's divided. Sure. <clears throat> you know, what do we treasure? You know, mm-hmm. I treasure, of course I'm loyal. Of course I love America. But I love America as long as it, rep- as long as it you know, gives me my freedom to mm-hmm. do what I want to do and to say and to be who I want to be. If that's jeopardized, you mm-hmm. know, uh, if that's compromised in the name of loyalty, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there there are a lot of women who are like, well, you know, but I still love, you know, I gave her the analogy of the father. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you saw your father beat, you know, your 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 mother, you wouldn't just say, well, okay, dad does that, but I still love dad. Right. Every now and then you have to say, no, 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 this is wrong. Right. Trump should not represent all Republicans. No. And Mark Twain. I love my co- I owe my country love or I love my country always. I love my I support my government when it deserves it. Mm, and I think go. that's the I was thinking I was trying I to look by. up this uh, Langston Hughes quote because I think ah. it was Langston Hughes who said something about I love America but I, America doesn't always love me. They, hey, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I always use that on my other podcasts. I'm an American too. I, uh-huh. I ask people who are not born in America. Mm-hmm. America loves you know, you love America of course, but does America love does it respect you? Here's another thing that I want to talk about. So there was yet another shooting that happened, right. I think, a couple of days ago. And reading the details, I, you know, uh, someti- sometimes I just – I beat myself up. I'm like, why do I read this stuff? Because I get so emotionally charged. But it was his 16th birthday. Right. The shooter. Did you know that? No, not, I didn't. not only that, it yeah. was badly reported that because that was the only piece of information they had initially. So they yeah. kept saying that. And, and – Coincidentally or ironically, it was his birthday. It's like it's neither coincidence <laughs> nor irony. Exactly. The, and now point. they say they have no information. They checked his mm-hmm. no, his electronic, his digital yeah. profile. They haven't found any yeah, nothing, suicide no note or anything. Like. So the biggest clue is it's his 16th birthday. Yeah. Unhappy kid on his 16th birthday. Yeah. And a woman was shot. It, every time I read about these things, a 16-year-old, I mean, usually you point and shoot to whoever you – and I swear to you, and I, it's good that I have you on, Lynn, because you have a son. You know, yeah. I, I was on stage with mm. your yes. son, oh, wow. <laughs> which was a wonderful uh, experience. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it was so wonderful to have you and him. I could tell the bond between you and him was so close. Well, thank you. Um, as a mother, I mean, do you worry? I mean, did you worry when he was, I guess, an adolescent? 
I have two two boys, one yeah. in New York City, one here, and I worried about them when they were younger, but I worry about them now that they could just get caught in the crossfire somehow. Oh, or that sure. Well, you know, I worry about guns all the time. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, I've got uh. to say, like, sometimes for fun, mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm an older woman, but I'm single. Just for fun, I talk to girlfriends about what deal breakers would be. Oh, I yeah. Have to, I, and <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you, someone owning a gun yeah. mm -hmm. would probably be a deal breaker mm -hmm. for me being their friend. Right. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. Right. Now I hope like, oh my God, but you know what? We're laughing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know people who are serious about this who would say, yeah. you just made yourself a potential target if anyone listened. Well. But I mean, if someone had an excuse, like if someone had a really complicated excuse for having a gun, sure. maybe. Mm -hmm. but, but I tell you, I go, I go on these dating sites, I think I've told you, Norman, they're mm -hmm. women who hold guns. They're like, oh, right. oh my yeah, they God. take their oh, pictures. They have AK-47s. Right. As if they're advertising, hey, I oh want to die. Right. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is really bizarre. That would be a deal breaker for me. Good. Yeah. Never, oh, no. okay. Okay. Right. Right. Not just about dating on the Good. friend level. On the friend I have, level. I have a high school friend, and a um, bunch of us were getting – this was when I first moved to the Bay Area, and there were a bunch of us that were here. We would hang out occasionally. So a bunch of us are hanging around one night, and he walks in with like – I don't know what it was, like a 45 or something. And he says, "Lift," and we're like, Whoa. "And I, everybody kind of perked up, but I was definitely suddenly this voice in my head is going, get out.' Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he tells us that um, his uncle had died, and had left it to him as a as a you know mm -hmm. thing. And it was he told us before he passed it around that it had been blocked, that the barrel had been blocked." But he was showing it to us. And yeah. And, and immediately, and I didn't even consciously know that I had made this decision. As soon as the gun came out, I decided, A, I was going to try and get out of here, and B, I was never going to come <laughs> back again. No, in just an instant, yeah. I yeah. already made yeah. that decision. And I didn't know I'd made it until he told us that the weapon had been, that the barrel had been blocked. Yeah. Because that renders it safe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because just statistically, you're saying, you know, somebody might feel triggered by this and, and want to... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Want to come That's after you, but um, but the fact is, if one of us had a gun, the odds of one of us dying by that gun exactly is way more than the, yeah. the lone nut who mm -hmm. gets upset because they heard or something. But I'm interested yeah. in the psychology of it as well. You know, at one point he says, "Oh, it's blocked. Don't worry about it." But right. he brought it because he wanted well, to. He, I don't know. It was in his apartment. No, th we were visiting at his place. Yeah. And okay. this had just happened. Yeah, but I mean, I you know, still the showing. I still think that there is a, a mystique. I mean, I even wrote a small right. play That's about it. That's why I brought it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I even wrote a small play about it, and uh, I wanted it to be produced uh, at Exit Theater for the Twilight Zone thing. But a oh, lot of right. folks are like, "Oh, a gun!" You know, I just don't. You know, people were very wow. triggered by the even thought of it. Yeah. And I think it's something we need to talk about. The reason I had asked you, Lynn, and also I'm thinking also about the friend of Dexter's who passed away. That right. wasn't gun related at all. No. It wasn't, thank But you. it still deals with death and all that stuff. But when you were raising your sons, were you worried at all, of course, about being a victim, but also just there's this, you know, there's a, there, I guess there's a narrative about uh, young white men who, um, who could get swept up in the incel. Uh, have you heard about incels, right? In, in, in voluntary celibates. These are yes, men who are who like. Have, and who have done. Uh, these yeah. people have been involved in yeah. several of the mass shootings. Yep. Exactly. The past couple yep. of exactly. Years. 
And I wonder, how does one insulate a child from thinking that way by saying, hey, listen, you can, you can, you can accept the word no. You can still be a friend of a girl and not whatever. I mean, that's very delicate for a parent to teach a child. It sounds like you, right. d- you were successful in doing that. I was just lucky with all the um, faults my kids have. And, yes, I hope you're listening, children. Um, <laughs> they, they, they weren't into the macho thing Good. at all. Good. They just naturally weren't mm-hmm. into that. Okay. Mm. And sometimes, you know, that's a hard time fighting against, uh, you know, because men – a lot of times teach their sons, you know, you know, toughen up and all that stuff. But it sounds like they didn't have to go through that at all. No. Mm-hmm. They have good. many other faults, but not, uh, yeah. <laughs> not that. And I can segue into the third piece. This deals with sports, but it also deals with masculinity. Miles Garrett. Did you hear about this? No. So there was a football game on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And usually it's like Thursday night football. Okay, okay. And Steelers, who are not doing very well, and the mm-hmm. Browns, who are always bad. Mm-hmm. The Browns actually won a game. This is, I think they've been trying to beat the Steelers for years and years. And finally they did it. To make a long story short, the defensive lineman grabbed the helmet of the quarterback oh. and hit him with it. Because it was just uh, over-aggressiveness. Yeah. He was trying to sack the guy, and the quarterback threw the ball, and, of course, there's all these extracurricular activities. He grabbed what helmet? He grabbed the helmet off. Imagine if you're the quarterback. Oh, he took it off of him. Off of him. Snatched it off of him and hit him. Right. Oh, my God. Which is battery. Right. Um, and so now, uh, so yesterday he was suspended indefinitely. He, only, he won't play this oh year again. God. But the aggressiveness, I mean, I guess the, round, the open-ended question I would ask to both of you, can you really regulate aggressiveness or is there something within us which is carnal where we can't always i mean i i think i always think of things from a philosophical philosophical perspective where society is based on how we tolerate each other and how we work with each other but there there are people like ayn rand you know who would say hey listen we are organically you know carnal and there's a part of us which is we bury our realness by us being civilized and all that stuff can there be a balance? I mean, you know, Miles Garrett basically did what he's always done, but at one moment he just flipped out. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's a great question. <laughs> did I stun the both of you? <laughs> yeah, I'm stunned only because now, you know, now there's like more research that says we don't actually have free will hmm. at all, and they put people in MRIs and oh. see that their brain is telling them to do things before they're even conscious of it. And I don't know. And Norm, help me here. (laughs) But I want to believe that Mm -hmm. people are capable of doing horrible things, but that they're (coughs) inherently good. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think about in theater, (coughs) like um, uh, we've talked about method acting. Uh, You don't have to be a murderer to act like a murderer. Right. You know, a and rapist, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, and so we use our emotions. Our emotions are our currency on stage. So I've been fighting with somebody over the First Amendment, actually. Yeah. But because he's kids, and I hate people who say this. Well, people are just stupid. Well, people need to take responsibility and do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? Guardrails are the most amazing things on highways. A guardrail does not stop you from flying off the road. It doesn't. It does stop most of us from flying off the road mm-hmm. because we pay attention to it. Or, and I pay attention to this because I'm fascinated when you're a driver versus when you're a passenger. Mm-hmm. When you're a passenger, you see stuff. So when you're going on, what do they call it, the MacArthur uh, maze, the maze. The maze. If you're a passenger, you get to look 
and you can see, oh, I'm passing over where Oakland and Emeryville come together. Oh, look over there. You can see the bay. There's all this amazing stuff. Those roads are banked in such a way, and they have little walls in such a way so that if you're the driver, you don't get your eye caught by what's over here and what's over there. Yes, you focus. Your easiest point of focus is what's on the road. Now, yes, that gets into restrictions and, you know, and censorship. But I, I think it's ridiculous to say we're just going to throw the rules completely open. And I hate that you blame people for it. It's not – we uh, – you know, like as a teacher, one of the things I had to learn, I have some great concept I want to teach somebody. So I realized, oh, I've got to teach these five things in order for them to really understand the concept that I want to teach. And I used to just try to cram all that in. I now realize that for most people, once you get to three – you kind of over, you know, yep. their brain is a little bit oh, yeah. 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 You've yeah. filled the You've filled the mental space <laughs> And so rather than blaming people for not being smarter and being able to understand this, to recognize that this is the human condition. So we should create an environment that supports the human condition. And that means if I'm teaching, I need to make sure that you understand one and two. Maybe we get to three today. Maybe we come back and review. You all got one and two and three. Now here's four, five. Mm -hmm. Great. Now we're ready. Yeah. That may take three lessons to yeah. get there. It may take five lessons to get there. I'm not going to blame my students for being stupid because they don't know what I know. I had to climb a mental ladder to get to where I got to. Mm -hmm. Why would I expect less from anybody else? And that's what I feel like. I feel like America doesn't educate anymore. Yeah. We don't teach people how to think. Mm -hmm. And because we don't teach people how to think, Fox News says this is true. Or, you know, the talking heads say, sure. well, this is evidence that there's nothing. And it's like, well, if you look, about, look at it yourself and think about it, mm -hmm. it sounds like, no, there's not nothing there. There's something there. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The best teachers I've had usually teach once or twice. I mean – there are people who learn by, you know, I've written it down, and here it is. Right. I need something visual. So, you know, mm -hmm. like I was, t I was teaching a friend. I was actually at work, and I'm very good at word processing and all that stuff, and mm -hmm. I'm, I have the luxury of having dealt with computers, you know, when as the computer age, you know, sort of came to be mm -hmm. in the 90s and all that stuff. Like I've worked with WordPerfect and Lotus 1, 2, 3 and mm -hmm. all these crazy things until it got, became codified. This is Word, Excel, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So – I basically just, you know, did a screen capture of me just doing stuff uh -huh. as if they're looking over my shoulder. And I was like, oh, here's a video. Here's right. a YouTube video. Right. Because I recognize, you know, people learn from different ways. Right. And getting back to this thing, I think that um, as far as men and aggression and all that sort of stuff, you can only – you have to lead by example. Like Freddie Kitchens, uh, mm -hmm. the, the head coach of the Browns, he's on a hot seat because he teaches – I teach my men to be aggressive. Right. Beat them. And now he's like, well, listen, I didn't teach him whatever. And he felt like he felt like <laughs> a parent. Not my fault. He felt like a parent. He's like, I don't teach my men to be aggressive and all that. And then they listed all of the things that Miles Garrett did beforehand. Right. And like Vontez Burfecht, that was another guy who had assaulted someone on the field and mm. even smiled and waved. You know, he's oh. an Oakland Raider. And right. And now he's – and the NFL's like, listen, we're not going to have that. So they're trying to – at the same exchange, they're trying to promote football. Right, right. And its aggressiveness. Right. But also try to say, no, no, it's wonderful for women in the family, and we're trying to calm things down. And I just don't know if it's really possible to do that. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it seems to me like such a larger issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with that, let's bring in Lynn Aylward. 
a uh, play. Wait, wait, wait. Did we already celebrate Kentucky? Did we already celebrate all that stuff? No, oh. I think we did. We talked about okay. that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. no, wonderful election, and you know it's fantastic, and uh, it leads the way. Breathing. Oh, we can also Deval Deval Patrick. I, w- I started to bring that up earlier <laughs> when we were talking about our <laughs> options and our hope. Yeah, because Deval Patrick is going to save us by bringing yeah. in yet another moderate voice. Because and because uh, that's clearly what people are responding to. Yeah. But dude. You're not getting it. I tell you, if I were Cory Booker, I'd be like, wait a minute. I know. I know. That was the <laughs> next thought exactly. I had. Exactly. <laughs> what am I? Yeah, chopped liver? <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. That's okay. Well, and Kamala. Exactly, know, exactly. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, Lynn Aylward, uh, playwright. Are you award-winning? I feel, I feel like I want to say that. Oh, I wish I was, but no, I, I, I've, no, okay. I'm not. Not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But you have. I mean, you your work has been around. I mean, you have. You've had your plays published, and I'm okay. sorry, produced, produced, produced. by uh, several. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of plays, either stage read or produced, and I feel. Oh, very Brad, come on, give us, give us stuff. Well, I feel very lucky about it because I was telling Reg earlier before we started, I have loved theater and been interested in it since I was very young, but I never. I only started seriously writing with a regular playwriting habit mm-hmm. three years ago. Okay. So I've had very modest successes, mm-hmm. I mean, or small successes, but I try to um, keep myself going because I've had them in mm-hmm. a relatively short period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you have a natural talent. Um, let's, let's go from the beginning. Uh, where were you born? Where were you raised? I was raised outside Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, I... When I was in high school, acting was the one kind of extracurricular activity Mm -hmm. I did, um, famously playing Elizabeth Proctor in The Crucible. All right. Um, I did a little bit of acting in college, though Mm -hmm. I was not – I was – a pre-med major. Yeah. You, and you were in Temple, right? I went to Temple. Yeah, that's yes, right. I went to, which actually has a great theater program, so mm-hmm. I wish I had studied that. Um, but then later in my 20s, I did improv in Philadelphia and a little bit in New York. Oh, wow. But still, I went to the theater all the time. Mm-hmm. And then once I had children, um, whenever anything awful or great would happen or mm-hmm. anything unusual, I would always say to them, oh, I'm going to put that in my play. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> But I never wrote a play. But then finally, mm-hmm. um, three years ago, I, I think a little bit before that, I started taking some evening playwriting classes, mm-hmm. but I never fish, finished anything. And then I was inspired because I wanted to get into the writing pool at Playground yeah. mm-hmm. here in the Bay Area, a leading incubator of new plays. I wanted to get into the writing pool. I had to submit a short play. Mm-hmm. I did. I got in. Ooh. And then once you're in Playground... During the season, you have to write a 10-minute play every month. So that got me going. And about a year and a half ago, I finished my first full-length play. Wonderful. Mm. um, Which is called Three Chords and the Truth. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't had a reading or anything yet, but I did submit it to the um, Playwrights Foundation Bay Area Festival, Mm -hmm. and it was a semifinalist. Fantastic. It was also a semi, uh, it made the first cut at Berkeley Rep's Mm -hmm. summer program, The Ground Floor. So Mm. I have taken that. It's, you know, very mild to Mm -hmm. put it, you know, at at best it's it's mild feedback, but I Mm -hmm. plan to keep going. And I have another full-length play that I'm, um, almost done now that I'm very excited about. Mm. Fantastic. 
getting back to uh, when you were younger, uh, do you have siblings? I do. Mm -hmm. Depending on how good I want to make it sound, I either say I'm from a family of five or a family of seven. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I have. <laughs> right. Um, it sounds I have like a sister. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm the same way. Uh, from my original mom and dad, I'm the only child, and now I'm the oldest of four. So. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did any of your siblings, I mean, I'm wondering if you came from a theater or a liberal uh, family. Does anyone else involved in arts or theater at all? No, they all love the arts a lot. They're okay. all, and they're all very outgoing, interesting people, and our family game is charades, and okay. we're really into doing oh, nice. that. But two of my siblings are pastry chefs okay. who have a restaurant. And then there's a lawyer and a nurse in there, so okay. um, a mix. Wow. When I think of Philadelphia, especially, you know, at the time that you grew up, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a swing state. You know, uh, there are, if you go into the main city of Philadelphia, you know, it's very liberal. And I think Mumia Al-Jamal, uh, do you remember that? You, did that Thank name you. sound familiar yeah. to you? That was the uh, individual who was accused of killing a cop. Oh, yeah, Mumia, yeah. Mumia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying the name wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But that also, it's 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 you know in rural areas, it's very conservative. Have they let him out finally? I don't think so. I don't. His know. health wasn't doing well, and so they were talking about letting him out, which is always ironic to me. Mm -hmm. You're about to die, so now we're going to get rid of you. Yeah, you're <laughs> safe now. Yeah. We don't think you're going to kill yeah. anybody. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, or have a good life. I mean, it's yeah. not even about yeah, the kill. Yeah, exactly. They know you're not going to kill anybody. They yeah. got you locked up, and yeah. he's been in solitary confinement forever. Yeah. Um, but no, now that you can't possibly have a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'll now we'll get rid no. of it. No. But I'd ask that because uh, we had um, – um, who's the guy who runs the Playwright Center? I'm just trying to think of his name. Um, uh, Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. yeah. Charlie you know, Larigo. He, he, he talked – yeah, yeah Larigo. He talked about being in Alabama. And I was like, wow, you grew up in Alabama, but you were very liberal. <laughs> How does that happen? So your family stayed. It sounds very liberal in a very conservative environment. Yes. I mean, my family is mixed. So when you mentioned – you have a old girlfriend who's married to a Trump supporter. Yeah. Some of my brothers and sisters are Trump supporters, oh. and others aren't. Yeah. So I understand. Yeah. Um, what was your experience in New York? That must have been cool. It was great. I mean, actually, I was there. So we overlap in lots of ways, Rich, That's right. because I went to NYU for graduate school. Wow. <coughs> what, what were the years? But um, I was there. Uh, um, I think about 85 or 86. Okay, I went <coughs> the ne very next year, September of 87. That was my first year. But I was studying environmental science. So okay. I was always <laughs> doing this other thing, even yeah. though I had this passion for the theater. But, of course, mm -hmm. I thought – and, you know, even now, I just want to throw this in there sure. for anyone who's thinking about doing something in the arts. The thing is, it <coughs> it's frightening. You feel, who am I to sure. think that I can create? You know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I was which kind is of... ironic, yeah. It is, but you do feel that way. So I think all along I thought, oh, yeah, I love theater, but I'm not I'm not worthy to mm -hmm. to try to write a play. Um, but mm. I did do... I did improv. Um, I also did improv while I was going to graduate school. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I was very lucky. I moved to London and lived wow. there for six years mm -hmm. and did nothing with the arts, but mm -hmm. had fun in London. Yeah. Then moved back to Washington. D then moved, not back, but moved to Washington D.C., where okay. I always wanted to live. I'd always had a strong what attraction. What to brought it. you there? I got what I, you know, I, my dream job at the time with a large international agency based in D.C., mm -hmm. and I had switched from environmental science into economics because I took an evening course in economics, and I thought, you know, global development, finding a solution to 
world poverty, that's that's it. That's the real deal in life. And yeah. mm-hmm. let me tell you, I've had a gr- nice job at this place and retired, but mm-hmm. world poverty, yes. news alert, has not been solved. Mm. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, no. Now, what were the years you were in D.C.? I was in D.C. from um, 1992 to 2015. Wow. When I moved to San Francisco, not quite five years ago. Yeah. The best decision I ever made. I was going to say, D.C., you saw D.C. going through a great transition. I went back, I got went back home in 92 at the same time, where it was, unfortunately, you know, um, it was considered the crack, uh, the crack, crack yes. capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of the world, and uh, I think Marion Barry had just gotten reelected, and uh. but DC went into receivership. Anthony Williams became the uh, the mayor, and all of a sudden DC had a very slow transition, very similar to San Francisco, where all of a sudden you know businesses starts popping up, yeah, um, rural or you know uh, I, I guess what they would call the ghetto starts you know building up businesses starts coming in. And you can say it's a wonderful thing, but you can also say it's the thing that sort of pushed African Americans out, definitely, or, or poorer people out. Um, Is that where the um, there's a uh, there's a lawsuit right now? Is that's right. I, I talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah yeah, 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 I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, basically, a lawsuit basically saying that there is forced um, what they call it forced gentrification, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see where that lawsuit goes. There's an individual in uh, D.C. suing D.C. right now. But um, yeah, because uh, I grew up, uh, my we lived on um, Sherman Avenue, which is a block oh, away from yeah. Georgia Avenue, yeah, uh, <laughs> Howard University. <laughs> but that's a center of yeah. where things have gentrified. Right, exactly. The Adams Morgan area, you know, was at one point the early '90s. That was the cool Bohemian area, but it was really tiny. Yeah. Now it's sort of boom, just exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you, n- when you lived in D.C., where in D.C. did you live? I lived in. Um, in Upper Northwest, in Chevy Chase, D.C. Chevy Chase, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what brought you to the Bay? Well, I had retired from my career job uh-huh. at this international economics place, and I wanted to reinvent myself. And I was just so lucky that I found a fun part-time job here mm-hmm. that gave me an excuse to move here. Did you just look was on a map? So I'm just curious. Is mm-hmm. Was there any theater in between... High school and moving here? Not really, no. Some oh. imp- improv, um, uh-huh. performing improv in, in Philly and New York in my 20s. And then just saying over and over again, I'm going to put that in my play. And like um, Larry David um, and other r- mm-hmm. aspiring writers, <coughs> yeah. the one thing I had was a little notebook oh, that I go. always had in my purse or in mm-hmm. my pocket. And when yeah. I thought of like – heard someone say something interesting or uh-huh. got a weird idea, mm-hmm. I wrote it in there. Yeah. It's funny, you you and I, off mic, we were talking about writing, and you had mentioned that you now write every day. Yes. Um, I keep a journal every every day, and uh, it's one of those things that's helped me writing-wise, uh, just flushing out ideas, even psychologically, just giving things off of my chest, you know, venue that I can't use I- anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you found that that's improved your writing? I'm, I'm telling you, writing every day. Yeah. So um, I went to the Bay Area Book Festival a few years ago. On that day, someone told me about Playground. And I always say, for once in my life, when I went home and Googled it, 
the annual deadline, because there's only one deadline a year to get in the writer's pool, mm -hmm. was not the day before. Yeah. I'd say, like, uh. my style in life is when I find out about something great, right. mm -hmm. it always closed, right. like, 24 hours before I bother <laughs> sure. to yeah. look. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was two weeks away, giving me enough time to get ready. On that same day at the Bay Area Book Festival, there was a panel on noir writing. Wow. And one of the people on the panel was Walter Mosley. Ooh. And wow. Right, fantastic. Okay, mm -hmm. so incredible to see him in person. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to hear him. But at the back, as they always do at book festivals, mm -hmm. they had books of his for sale. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I mean, I, I love his work. I knew mm -hmm. it. But he wrote a book. There was a book there for sale. It was a really slim book, and it had the most wonderful title. The title was, This is the Year You Write Your Novel. Mm. Ah. And although I was not going to write a novel, mm -hmm. I wanted to write plays. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I had not ever finished one. Yeah. And I read this slim volume, and just the guidance he gave in the first three chapters, I followed it, and within a month, I had a regular writing habit. Wow, that is fantastic. So I'm pretty, I want to meet him <laughs> some, if I ever like actually get a play produced, uh -huh. I want to dedicate it to him or meet him and tell him that. No, that is that awesome. I recommend the book very highly. Yeah, I, um, what, what are some of the theater companies that you've worked with? Um, you had mentioned that you had been produced. What, what company produced your work? Um, I've only been produced by the Playwright Center of San Francisco. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is good. Oh, and the Benita Springs Art Center, an art center in Florida, also did <laughs> Snow Godot, and they published right on. it. Oh, that's fantastic. So you are published. That's, no, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm very curious because I worked, you know, when I did the Playwright Center, you had submitted a play, 1225, and we've talked about that. I love the, the, the series. I mean, usually when I, see, when I talk to budding playwrights and work with budding playwrights, usually the material is sort of fluff. I mean, it, you don't get a lot of, you know, substantive stuff. Hmm. And yours have been very, very substantive, whether it deals with environmental issues or, like in 1225, men dealing with torture or dealing with uh, just trying to find light in, in darkness. In a hopeless situation. In a hopeless situation. Yeah. I'm curious as to why that was a subject matter of, of yours or, you know, just what, what are the themes that you use when you write plays? Very good question. Oh, and I just remembered I had a very short play in that was produced in the San Francisco Fringe Festival. Oh, that's this awesome. This year. Yeah. Very short. <coughs> But also serious. Yeah, mm -hmm. at the exit, right? Yes, at yes. the exit. Mm. Um, the themes that I want to write about, and sometimes I really, and I'd love to get your mm -hmm. input on this. I think there's kind of a warning in playwriting not to write issues plays. Mm -hmm. But do either yeah. of you feel that you're that you write issues plays? Well, I think the challenge, and I I don't claim to be a writer, but I I to me the challenge isn't what you write about, it's how you write about it. Because there are always going to be people who are upset about the issue plays. I mean, the first one I think I ever remember that being a charge <coughs> against was Night Mother, mm -hmm. which is still one of my favorite plays. I think it's a gorgeous play. And it's about, would you say the issue is suicide? Suicide. Yeah. Um, it, what the critics hated at the time was the claim, they claimed that it was advocating suicide. And it was like, okay, so by giving voice to some who is clearly not crazy but suicidal, that's advocating? I think it's illuminating. Um, and then, and, you know, on this similar subject, um, not subject, but on this idea of what do you write about, I love Rosencrantz and Guildenstern as a 
because it is a goofy-ass play that you could say is about nothing, or you could say it is a wonderfully existential play, and that's what, that's, I think the film went too far in that direction, Mm -hmm. but the play itself, as a theater student, that was the play that just made me excited at the notion of trying to, you know, follow, pursue this as a career, because they spend, what is it, the good 10 minutes of the opening of the show is them just flipping a coin and discussing the fact that they're flipping a coin and it keeps coming up heads. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous, um, except that it isn't ridiculous. At a certain point, you go from the absurdity of it to starting to ask some really fundamental questions. I think when a writer can make an audience do that, it doesn't really matter what the subject that's is. That's right, yeah. yeah. No, that's true. It's funny you mention uh, that, Rosalind's Children's Day, because it reminds me it's of um, – what is it? Um, it's um, they're wait, waiting for Godot. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that. Oh, very much. And twelve twenty-five reminds me of that as well because oh, you have you. two individuals waiting for something wonderful to happen, but it may not happen at all. Mm. But they're going to wait. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to believe they're beyond hopeful. belief. Yeah, and uh, that sort of th- it reminds me of that as well. As far as writing, I think I think Norman, you're absolutely right. It's how you write it because if you write. Only for yourself. I, I, one, I, I try to ask myself as a writer, am I the only audience? You know, who, you know, who is the other audience? You know, can I write something that will resonate with other people? Mm-hmm. And I think when, it deals with, when you talk about trauma and tragedy or whatever, everyone deals with it. Everyone may not want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but everyone wants to sort of feel I'm not the only one that's mm-hmm. dealing with this. And so I feel there's a benefit mm-hmm. to having that. We don't want just, you know, people. there are people who go to theater to be entertained and let me just get away. It's almost like going to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who are like, can someone understand what I'm going through? Uh-huh. And I think we need that. Mm-hmm. So and that's why I say that, you know, there, it's, it, it has resonance. Well, I want to hear, hear the story of, um, of the women talking about who, who is on their, you know, um, what is a deal breaker? What's a oh yeah, yeah the deal yeah. breaker? I want to hear that conversation. <laughs> that would be exciting. Um, but man, maybe I'll write a play about. Uh, maybe I'll write a short play for a playground about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but Reg, that I mean, it's a good question. I think I'm drawn to writing plays that deal with um, kind of the 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 agony the agony of being human, yeah. starting with the fact that we're here for a short time mm-hmm. and we don't know why we're here, and yeah. yet we, as humans, we, all of us experience sometimes such profound emotions of intense emotions of happiness or of despair. But I want to talk, think about, I want to write, like capture somehow like the depth and profundity of being human, and yet I want somehow for there to be hope in my work. I don't want it to be all bleak cynicism or a recitation of horrible things that happen Mm -hmm. to people. Sure. And one of the interesting things is that usually I expect people who do write about, let's say, pain or focuses on – you know, serious issues. Like I think about Javier uh, Javier Reyes, Reyes yeah. who was on, and he works with you know under under um, underprivileged youth. Right. 
and uh, and so he he has that energy, and I can't imagine you. You know, you haven't. I, it, it doesn't appear that you've dealt with any tragedy or you've had anything really, really bad happen. Mm-hmm. But yet you can oh, still Brad. touch it. Well, I mean, like twelve twenty-five. You know, yeah. like individuals. Like, I'll, you, can you briefly talk about the plot because they are captured? Is it by uh, ISIS or? Oh, I'd love to talk about it because I have. Since you've acted in it uh-huh. so wonderfully, I there's something in particular I want to talk about. So okay. in the play, there are two men who are being held captive somewhere in Afghanistan or sure. maybe in the depths of Pakistan. Who knows? And they're Americans, but they're contractors. They're not, right. they're not soldiers. So, so. And mm-hmm. they're stuck in this place. And um, they've been there a long time, and they're out of contact with anyone at all. And one of the two men, mm-hmm. Paul, comes in from, you know, these regular interrogations or beatings that they get, and he tells the other contractor, Max, you won't believe it, it's Christmas Day. And then he leads Max, and Max is in really bad shape and on yeah. the verge of, like, losing and it. Pessimism. And He's very yeah, pessimistic. pessimistic <coughs> and on the verge probably of getting executed by the guards or something because mm-hmm. he's so down. And um, Paul says, okay, I, I'm pretty sure I saw someone's phone. I think it's, you know, 1225. And um, now let's plan how we're going to celebrate. And Max is, <laughs> like, so angry about yeah, this. Like, right. are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to celebrate? So Paul but takes them through this small, this small little ways they can celebrate themselves. Mm-hmm. And Max rejects it and tries to destroy Paul's sense of optimism, uh-huh. but mm-hmm. Paul prevails. Yes. And so it ends on a note of hope. Mm. Okay, but here's the crazy thing that I haven't quite nailed in that play. Mm-hmm. I want people who see it to maybe get the idea that maybe Paul, maybe it's not Christmas, maybe right. Paul didn't see right. the oh, I, person's I phone, right? Like, yeah. I know you got right. that, but, yeah. like, I don't know if there was any way to convey that to the audience, that, like, Paul is maybe doing this because he's just realized mm-hmm. he has to help Max oh, somehow. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it sounds like there's a, there's a battle between pessimism and optimism. How do mm-hmm. we create optimism out of, you know, what is it Dr. King says, you know, out of um, a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's the power of the play. And I'm sure you'll, you know, if, as you work through it, you'll find the things. But it, it seems very, very clear to me. Good. Okay, and, good. Um, but no, it's it's wonderful. Uh, just you, know, you finding this because you know you could write just about you know what's going on in your life, but mm-hmm. you've gone beyond that, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, as we're getting close, how, what do you what do you see yourself in the future? What do you want to do? You want to just submit? Are you happy with where things are right now? Um, my and I want to say this for anyone who's listening who wants to do something creative or artistic. So I have a dream, a hope. I feel that if one of my now two full-length plays, if, uh, you know, because for Playground, it's great. I've had things mm-hmm. stage-read by them, but it's right. always a 10-minute play. If, right. uh, if I could get a full-length play stage-read somewhere, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. I would be on cloud nine. Yeah. Um, you should submit to the Play Cafe. 
you know, they, they help me out with Four Men in Paris, and they're always submitting and taking in submissions. I will mm. do that. I will yeah. do that. If I, that would be, to me, that's my, mm-hmm. my dream. But if I, that would, could I would happen. think that oh, you would want to have. places. I would, yeah. I would recommend And I would well. also think that, you know, you can have it as a full, uh, full-fledged production. There are all sorts of companies that are looking for material. Well, mm-hmm. that's my dream after I get the first <laughs> dream, but that <laughs> I'm not even going to, to, reading, to dream yeah. of. Yeah. Um, if we're getting close to time, there's something I have to say real that's quickly. Fine. Yeah. So I have to say, Norman, you were fantastic, and as you like it, you were in that this summer, right? Oh, my God. Time. That was one of the two best plays I saw oh this wow. year in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we have six weeks left, but right. in 2019. The other was... Well, you could see Midsummer Night's Dream. And then maybe <laughs> that will be the other one. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was an incredible production, and yeah. I, I love what you brought to that play. Well, thank yeah. you. So. I did have a quick question for you, and are you under time constraints? Do you have to hit I think we're fine. Okay, cool. Time-wise. Now, as a playwright, I try to watch plays because I don't want to live in a vacuum. Um, do you what? What is your assessment of I guess Bay Area theater from just a um, I guess watching? Uh, are you seeing good stuff? Are you seeing not a lot of good stuff? Are you seeing uh, I changes? I think the theater here is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I go to so many plays mm-hmm. and I go to so many great readings for mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. and I think theater tickets aren't are reasonably affordable mm-hmm. here and there is just so much amazing stuff. I think San Francisco is one of the I I just think it must be one of the best theater towns in um, the United States. Hmm. There's so much here. Mm-hmm. And I hope it remains. You know, uh, yes. We, we've had a couple of friends leave so I worry about this state of theater no, and arts in the Bay Area. People are always going to leave. <laughs> I just found out that uh, somebody is coming back or wanting to come back. Oh, like there you go. And he's a major director. So, mm-hmm. I mean, major in the sense that you know, there's a sort of cookbook formula to making theater. Mm-hmm. And so if you understand how a cookbook works, then you feel like you can make anything, but not everybody can make a souffle. Yeah. <laughs> and this man is just, I, you know, I hate to throw around the words like genius, but he is just so amazing in his ability to have a big idea mm-hmm. and yet ground it in something that is so visceral and immediate yeah. that it's um, – it, it becomes profound. It becomes very almost poetic. When you see that on stage, you're mm-hmm. in love. So I'm like, we've been writing back and forth because he said he's trying to get into a situation. I don't want to jinx it, but he's trying mm-hmm. to get into a situation here mm-hmm. that would allow him to go back and forth. And I'm like, that would be great. <laughs> and I know he has friends mm-hmm. that would support him and help him with housing and stuff. Yeah. So it's really just a question of, A, you know, can he make something that he's comfortable with, but mm-hmm. B, that would then start conversations because I want when you say that about theater, I realize the typical reading you're lucky if you get a couple of dozen people show I, up, yeah. yeah, and yet when it's good, you really feel like you have been you feel so fortunate to have experienced this thing in its early stages. You know, yeah, you want to see it. You want to see it realized. That's that's the best out of any reading. When people are going, well, who's going to produce this? Where is it going to be? You're like, <laughs> I got it here. That was my job. But to um, to appreciate that that sort of um, fertile ground that we have is amazing. I would love to find more ways to, and I'm always looking for more ways to just connect that up more because yeah, I do feel like there's a lot of talent here that. Mm-hmm. Does that could get more appreciation if it were, you know, w- more widely received? 
Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you the connections that, I mean, because you, you're getting into the business of theater, you know, not just right. as an actor, you know, auditioning, but also connecting with the directors that you've worked with beforehand or whatever. It was like, oh, you are, you know, are you working on something? Well, you know, let we me. Had a, I, so it terrified me, but I mm-hmm. sent out an email to everybody that I could find an email for, email address for um, this year, everybody I've auditioned for in the last year, saying, hey, I'm doing a play. You should come see it. Now, the reality of that is, out of 20 people, if four come, mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, that, that's a nice return. Yeah. If more than that come, I'd be like, wow, and one of them came last night. Oh, there you go. <gasps> oh, and hadn't responded to me. Yeah. Just was there. Yeah. So we're in the middle of our opening, and I look out, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> there you go. And I was like, okay. So I thought tonight's show was because we've had days mm-hmm. off. So tonight was kind of coming back, and there's always that little bit of knocking the rust off. And I was like, sure. I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. This is not just about knocking the rust off. I, I want to see if we can make this one of the better performances. Yeah, that's right. Because you never know who's out there who's watching. Yeah. There you go. All righty. Shout outs. Birthdays. Birthdays. Where's my list? Oh, don't you dare do that. Come on. Um, I, have my, I, I make my list in two places just so that I don't have my phone jamming up on me. Tamika White. We haven't had Tamika. Tamika. Mm-hmm. She, uh, isn't she in L.A.? She's LA? in L.A. Yeah. And every now and then she drops into the Bay Area because yeah. that's how I knew her from Each One Reach One. Right. And then we got to do some other projects. Yeah. I, you know, I really enjoy Tamika. Mm-hmm. Um, her birthday is today. I'm going to skip one because I know you got him. Melvina Jones is another actress, a Bay Area actress who I met through the African American Shakespeare Company. And um, she's also done a lot on the sort of producing side, casting and directing small projects and mm. putting together outreach stuff. She's been amazing. I always feel bad when somebody like that gets on the other side because there's such a need for people to help administrate that we lose the talent. Mm-hmm. But hopefully she's keeping her toe in. Uh, Sally Dana is okay. a Bay Area actress whose birthday is coming up. Uh, Derek Gavin Much is somebody I went to college with, and he um, started focusing more on the playwriting and promoting playwrights. Mm. He's um, been big on that. So it's neat when you have a college alum because you leave college and you scatter. Yeah. And yeah. then suddenly like, oh, wow, you're still in it too. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Stacy Lowe is a producer up in the North Bay. Mm-hmm. Um Bay Area Stages, I want to say, is the name of their their group. Um, And they do a lot of musicals, which she is fantastic at as a performer, but she's also a major producer up there. Um, Allison Wright, the first full-length play that the African-American Shakespeare Company did was Taming of the Shrew. Allison was our Kate. Wow. All right. Yeah, and that was fantastic. Or Soren Oliver is, if there is such a thing as Bay Area royalty, Mm -hmm. Theater royalty. He is the son of, <coughs> um, oh God, what's her name? Barbara. Barbara Oliver, who started the Aurora Theater Company. Oh wow! Oh my God! And her, his father was a professor at Cal, theater professor at Cal. Soren has gone on to be a major actor, director in the Bay Area, and um, did a thing, and I think it was called, wrote a play called, I believe it was called Demetrius Unbound, which was a sequel hmm. to Midsummer. Um, and the biggest surprise in it is they had a character, an actor, Dodds, Dodds Dazel, who was on the show, oh, his birthday was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned him, a North Bay actor who came down to Berkeley to do this show, and he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And he kept playing this quiet character who was almost mute, and suddenly in the second act, he starts talking, and he goes into this 
huge monologue about how he's really been holding a torch mm. <laughs> for one of the young lovers. Oh, wow. And, it, and it's so, you know, it was brilliant because if you know Midsummer, to make that connection is just sort of, sort of a, it's one of those little, um, what mm-hmm. do they call them in video games? You get, you know, you get a little, ooh, wow, that was cool. Okay. Um, Dodds um, is amazing. It's Soren, like a one-up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Level it's up. extra. You know, hopefully yeah. the play works on its own. Yeah. A good sequel hopefully works on its own. Yeah. But for those people who know the original, you get to have that extra joy. Sure. Soren is that, because Soren's done a lot of classical work as an actor, so mm-hmm. he's very familiar with how to make that work. Cool. His birthday's this week. Rael Myrick Hodges, if I had to pick one director in the Bay Area that I would say, oh, my God, that person. And I'm not sure she's in the Bay anymore. She started traveling the country just to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's an amazing director, and she was the executive or artistic director of Raba Theater before Mm -hmm. she started traveling the country. (laughs) And Jimmy Ashmore, who is um, an actor who moved to the Bay Area a few years ago, and I picked him up for a reading of a genie play that we were doing. Okay. Genie Baroga play. Um, uh, Banyan. Okay. And I've heard uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, and so we've, we've, kind of, we've kept in touch since. We haven't had a chance to work together again, but hopefully. All right. Anyway, that's mine for the week, except for the ones that you <laughs> have that I skipped. <laughs> okay, so today, um, along with Tamika White, is Nick Mandrakia. Yes! <laughs> I knew you'd get it. Uh, and I'm sure he's working on something. Uh, I saw something on Facebook. He had a picture, and I, I, I don't know what he's doing, but he's a magnificent actor and singer. And uh, so that's that. And uh, so he's today. Also, um, on Sunday, the se- tomorrow, Allison Quinn. I was uh, I acted with Allison Quinn on a movie. Um, it was an independent movie, but she's also a Bay Area actress, really, really talented. And I want to try to get her on uh, one of these days. So her birthday is tomorrow on Tuesday, the nineteenth. Isabella Capozzi is turning eighteen years old. Hmm. I had her and her sister and her mother on oh, right. the wow. Yay. Right. Uh, we acted, w- one of the youngest people that we've had on the Yay. And um, it's just a family of actors. Wow. And uh, it's always wonderful to have, uh, you know, families who are involved in arts. And so her birthday is 18, uh, she, and she is just really, really fierce. Not only is she an actress, but she's a model, she's a singer, she has a YouTube video. She's oh, got wow. stuff on um, Apple Music. So she's rolling. Wow. Um, uh, in any case, so that's her. Also, uh, another fierce uh, young actress. Uh, her birthday is on Wednesday. Christina Pagador, a Philippine actress. Yeah. Um, we, she and I did Godspell, um, mm-hmm. and that was a couple of years ago. And she's, I think she just graduated from college. So, so, so happy birthday to her. Mm-hmm. On Friday, Keaton Wilkerson. I'm sure you know him. He, we oh. had him on the A. Oh. A fantastic singer and actor. He, we did uh, Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown. Oh, okay, yeah. And he was the, one of the lead actors. Uh, just mm. amazing. Great range. I mm-hmm. mean, he could hit that A note just oh. like nothing. Um, I'm jealous. <laughs> I know. <laughs> A good friend of mine who graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Robert Dickman, he turns 50. Uh, welcome to the Five O Club, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> he is in Hawaii now. I don't know. I have no idea if he's still doing acting, but he was a fierce young actor uh, when we were in uh, high school together. Also, Paul Danhauser. Paul Danhauser is the husband of um, an actor who uh, Paul and I were on stage. We did. Um, we were part of the Musical Cafe. Mm. The Musical Cafe. I think I've talked about it beforehand. It's for budding. 
um, songwriters and um, s- um, musicals, budding musical writers, to feature their 20-minute uh, musicals. And so Allison Luderman uh, wrote a piece called The Chain, and Paul was in it, and I was in it, and his husband mm-hmm. uh, directed it. So happy birthday, Paul. And that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> um, and and um, you were saying that with uh, Nick or for any of these folks, Nick if they yeah. are doing something, and we'll put it, you know, mm-hmm. when we post uh, this up, um, I try to put the list, my list anyway, of mm-hmm. folks. I should get your list too. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I I just shoot them out, but yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll send um, them to you. So yeah. that, um, you know, I try to make sure that I link all those folks and say, hey, if you're doing a show, please. Let us let know. Us know. Let us we, know. We will post it. I haven't figured out how to do it yet, but I want to see if we can make an event page off of the Yay page. Yeah. Um, because I have one for somebody who's doing a shot of an episode of something that's coming up in the spring. Oh, that's And okay. I'm like, dude, uh, there's no point in announcing it now. It's coming up in the spring, but I want to see if I can yeah. make it an event. That would be great. And that way it would be yeah. nice to have the page connected to people's yeah, I, I stuff. Yeah, i got to do better marketing-wise, uh, just just pushing things out. Mm-hmm. But we do the best we can. We do what we can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our our staff is working hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If we had money, we'd do even better. Anyway. Uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream runs this weekend, next weekend, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, 8 o'clock, yep. uh, Sunday, 2 o'clock. Um, this Sunday, gosh, that's tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this Sunday, uh, there's going to be a talk back afterwards. A um, lot of fun. Six actors doing all the roles. Pretty amazing. Yep. And we have a link, so you can click, click the link on our show notes. And unfortunately, I, after we finish this, I'm going to go ride the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. It's opening up the bike path today. Ah, uh, I heard so about that. Right now, in fact, it already happened probably. Uh, the official opening happened. Yeah. And. <coughs> this insane line of people are going to go. So that's why we were like, I was like, no, we can do the podcast, and then we will go after yeah. <laughs> the big crowd goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the show is happening. I mean, closes November twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. So I hope people will come. Yeah, um, and I'm not going to be able to do um, playground this okay. month. Because it's going to happen after um, Thanksgiving. Okay. But uh, it's coming up on the 25th. Okay. Yeah, we'll, um, yeah, and Playground is always a fantastic place to see young talent and also oh, for budding actors. Uh, and talent writers. of all ages yeah. and writers. Oh, my gosh. It's, <coughs> I, it's such a treat. I love working on the pieces. I end up directing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love being able to go talk to a writer afterwards and go, wow, what's up with that? I'm <laughs> really fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Also, along with Midsummer Night's Dream, Hello, Dolly is uh, playing oh. at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Alicia Von Coogan is Dolly, and oh, so wow. she's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to Normal, Plethos Productions. Um, they've been getting all sorts of rave reviews about that. Uh, very oh, deep right. musical mm-hmm. about depression and about um, hope, you know, um, keeping your hopes up high. Mm-hmm. And so that will be uh, – the uh, we have a link there, plethos.org. Michael Dorado, a good friend of ours, is in the show, and Corinne Ritchie, not only is co-producer, but also she's she's directing it. Yeah, well, that's that's not a surprise. <laughs> uh, Lynn, did you have a good time today? I had the most fantastic time. Did you have any Thank shows you. you wanted to call out? Uh, just telling people to come see Norman's Midsummer Night Dream. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And isn't it wonderful? I mean, because you never know who is in the audience, and all of a sudden you see someone. It's like I saw you in something. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> always frightening <laughs> to me. It's like what the hell? 
Why didn't you say something? Yeah. Even worse, somebody came to see the show last week, and then they, they were like, oh, no. Oh, this guy that I was talking about. Uh-huh. He, um, he's like, oh, I saw the show last Thursday. And I'm like, that was like the preview. That was one of the roughest <laughs> shows that we've done so far. They're like, oh, I already saw it. You guys are fantastic. I'm yeah. Like, oh. I'm always nervous. I'm like, oh, no. Which show did you see? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Was I good? Yeah, okay, great. Of course, no one, no one will say you're horrible, right? Not to your face. <laughs> no, there are all kinds of other ways of saying it, and I yeah. heard one. Ooh, I loved your Aegeus. My Aegeus? What about my Titania? <laughs> all righty. Well, here's our blurba. You can find the A on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads, really any app that you listen to, a podcast, you can find us. If you're an old stogie like me and you listen to your podcast on a desktop or a laptop because millennials don't even use laptops anymore, um, you can find us on iTunes. Click on iTunes, click on Store on the upper right-hand side. You can search for the A and you'll find us. For Android users, you can download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and you can find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find me at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Lynn, do you have a Instagram, Snapchat, any, any of those things, Twitter? Uh, I have a Twitter account, and it's oh. at Lynn Alward. What so that's surprise. easy. <laughs> <laughs> no space? No spaces, just at Lynn Alward, L-Y-N-N-A-Y-L-W-A-R-D. Well, uh, we'll have a link to that. Um, who's I have that? another show, um, Ubuntu's show opens tonight, Mahabharata. <gasps> Maha- yes. Mahabharata, yes. okay. Yeah, it's opening tonight. Oh, there you go. Clo- when does it close? Um, Sorry, I put uh, uh, December 8th. Okay. We'll uh, put that in the show notes. Yeah. And we, we got to find a better sign-off. And we are out. Yeah.